Welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. Hi there. Welcome to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. Today, um, I have spent some great time with uh, a lady called Elaine and her sister Sharon, who run a business called Wellbeing for Life based up in uh, Leicestershire. We've been talking about um, well-being, about uh, about what businesses can do to to basically engage with and motivate their their employees, their staff to improve their their well-being. Because you you improve your well-being, you improve your your profitability. Um, we talk a bit about anxiety, um, you know, and uh, we also talk about being creative. And I found it I found it really fascinating. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let you let you have a listen and uh, and let's uh, see what you think. Hi there. <laughs> yeah, yeah please, um, please introduce yourselves. Okay, so my name's Elaine Crew, and I'm one half of Wellbeing for Life. Um, so just by way of a little bit of background about me, um, I've, I've kind of come to working in the world of wellbeing from a very um, long-winded route, I guess. Um, so up until five years ago, when we established Wellbeing for Life, I'd always worked within the education sector for most of my career, but particularly working with businesses around workforce development programs, CPD, that kind of thing. So in quite commercial roles. And about, I don't know, perhaps seven years ago, um, I I guess I experienced for the first time in my career um, what work-related stress looked like and began to suffer with a little bit of panic and anxiety and all that kind of thing. Um, And it knocked me sideways because that kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. You know, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I was so strong and resilient. So I didn't recognize the signs, which meant I wasn't dealing with it as it was happening to me, which meant that it literally knocked me over. Um, So I spent a couple of years working out how to put myself back together again. Um, I was still working, still functioning. Everything was fine. But I knew inside that there was a there was a lot of unhappiness and um, and I was out of kilter is how I describe it. So I got heavily into exercise. I started researching nutrition and how that affected my mood. Um, I did some training in mindfulness and became a bit, I'm probably the bore at the party now, actually, because I became slightly obsessed with what I discovered because it totally transformed my energy levels, my health. And long story short, within a couple of years, having done lots of training in a whole range of completely new areas, um, I left my career, which was a huge um, step, was very terrifying, but it was a definite feel the fear and do it anyway moment. And five years later, Wellbeing for Life is still going really strong. So a little snippet about me. Elaine, that's, that's, lovely, that's lovely to hear that. Sharon, what about, what about yourself? How, how, did, um, you know, how, how did this journey uh, go about with yourself then? Okay, so I'm Sharon. I'm the other half of Wellbeing for Life. Um, I've also had a different career history uh, before this. So I'm a nurse by background and I've worked for many, many years in palliative care. So both clinically and then more laterally um, in education and research. Um, In my last position in education, I was there for 12 years, built this amazing team up. We're very successful, making a massive difference to health and social care professionals working out there uh, with people facing the end of their life. Um, But I found that as I took on more and more, the team grew bigger, 
like Elaine, I was also struggling with some anxiety. And in my case, that led to um, anxiety and depression, uh, but not until after I'd left the workplace. So I decided that after 12 years there, I thought probably it's about time I did something different. Um, I, I do believe that life is about chapters. So I decided, and again, like Elaine, it felt a very brave decision to make. Um, so I left behind that and took some time out. And it was at that point that my anxiety and depression kind of hit me and floored me for a little while. But I was determined that I was going to get myself better as naturally as possible, really. So I'd always been interested in particularly food and nutrition, that kind of thing. So I ate myself better. I exercised myself better. And I also, sounds a bit odd, but I laughed myself better. I discovered laughter yoga and um, I decided I'd also train to be a, a laughter yoga leader as well. So I developed this daily laughter practice where I'd literally phone this telephone laughter club and laugh every day, 10 minutes, 7 to 7, 10 a.m., laugh down the phone, hang up, and I felt much better. And I'm convinced that it was those things that helped me in my recovery. So I just became really passionate, really, about wanting to share all that I'd learned and support other people um, in a similar way. So I trained to be a health coach, as I said, um, trained to um, be a laughter yoga leader, did all sorts of additional training around nutrition, um, and Elaine and I kind of harnessed it, harnessed all of our um, skills and Wellbeing for Life was born. Fantastic. Just um, Can you just explain that, that laughing down the phone a little, a little bit more then? So what, what, what happens? What, what, what do you do with that? Then? So basically, laughter yoga is where we laugh for no reason whatsoever. So there's no comedy, there's no jokes, no humour. You literally just laugh for the sake of it. And it often starts off as false, fake laughter but very quickly turns into real and spontaneous laughter. And what laughter does is to release endorphins. So you mm -hmm. immediately start to feel better. Um, stress is reduced, you get more energy, you get a greater sense of well-being. you're more focused, more productive. It's got a ton of health benefits. So um, when I first started, I, I literally used to ring up, and, and there's no talking in laughter yoga. So you ring up this number and there'd be a number of other laughers up and down the country. Right. And as the, as the clock ticks seven, you just start to go <laughs> down the phone. And you'd keep doing that until 10 past seven. And then you'd hang up. You wouldn't say hello. You wouldn't say goodbye. Just laughter and hang up. And you'd get on with your day. So, um, yeah, I've now developed that into laughter yoga classes. Face-to-face right. uh, -face and people come and we laugh together. And it's just amazing. The, the impacts, the benefits are absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it's really contagious, actually, isn't it? Just by, just by you doing that then, I noticed that both myself and, uh, and uh, Elaine just, uh, just started to smile a little bit more, just with those, those couple, of, couple of moments of you doing that. Yeah, really, really simple, but effective. Oh, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Some of the stuff, I mean, some of the things I, and thank you very much for, for, um, for introducing yourselves so, so well then, you know, it's, it's really nice to hear the background and, and, and taking that step, you know, making that step out of, of, a, of maybe a life that, that was a little bit pressured and was a little bit, uh, you, know, um, you know, which a lot of people are in. I, I mean, I, I left a big corporate many years ago and, and, and it's a big jump in it, you know, to sort of step out of that, out of that safety zone into, into, into what is it that we're going to uh, go, go, go into. But but you both seem really content. I think that's the thing that I'm sort of just just looking looking at you in the video here, and also listening to the way you talk. You know, you just seem really really content with things at the moment. 
you know, how, how, how do you feel? You know, how, is, how are things? I think that actually when you change the way that you live your life into, you know, people perhaps don't realise that, you know, you can change your mindset with such simple things. So literally changing the way that you eat, changing the way that you kind of um, live your life in terms of building exercise, but also, you know, that, that helps to change your mindset and help you to feel more positive. But I think our values shift. And I think there's something certainly in, in my, my head that I had to take a little bit of battle with, which is that I've been brought up like most of us have. You join, a, a, you know, you start a career, you do your training and you climb the ladder. That's what you do. And you take knocks along the way. But, you know, you get tough through it. You get resilient. And if you're weak, you fall off the ladder and you don't deserve to climb to the top. And I think there was such pressure that I now know I was bringing on myself because that's what I thought I should be doing. Now I would say I feel like that weight is lifted. Um, I feel like I'm actually living in line with my values. Um, And when I talked earlier about feeling anxiety and panic um, related to work, I think now looking back, it was actually because I wasn't living in line with my values. So there's nothing wrong with my work. You know, it was it was fine. Um, but it wasn't where my passion lay. It wasn't the stuff that kind of lit my fire. And I think, again, the message is so often, particularly to young people, that it's not about that. It's about earning money. It's about being successful. It's about climbing the ladder. And now, actually, where you know, we're still, I, I, we still consider ourselves quite early days in our, in our um, self-employed business because everything changes so quickly. We're constantly evolving. Um, but I would say that driving ourselves forward along alignment with our values is actually making us more successful. Um, you know, it happens to you anyway because you're following something that lights you up. And I think that's what gives you that inner peace. Um, I can't guarantee that, you know, we both still have days when we're feeling a little bit anxious. I do believe when you've had anxiety or depression, it's a kind of well-trodden path. And if you're not careful on on days when things can feel overwhelming, you can flip back into that way of thinking. But what you get through self-awareness and through working on yourself in the way that we've described um, is an ability to catch it and know what you need to do about it. And accept that, okay, I may, might have a couple of low days, but then I'm going to bounce back. I have faith that I will bounce back because I've got the tools and I know and I've got the history because I've done it before. Mm. And I think that's what, you know, when people talk to us, they'll often say, oh, you're so passionate about what you do. Oh my goodness, how can we not be passionate about that? It's just, it's transformed the way that we live. And we absolutely love seeing that transformation in the way that we work with our clients. Mm. And um, you know, um, you know, and again, it is it is really really great to hear the passion in there. But obviously, not everybody is in in a position to 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 make that jump. Well, not everybody wants to make that jump um, from a you know from the from the security of a big business. So, what sort of what sort of things do 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 businesses need to do then to try and to try and get that kind of thinking? Into the into the sort of into the, the mindsets of the people that are that are working working in the organisation. How, how, how do you how do you go about sort of starting that process? I wonder if it's worthwhile thinking from the employee perspective as well as the employer. So mm-hmm. we often have a conversation about if we were to go back to um, let's call it mm-hmm. work for now um, into the workplace that we came from. 
we would actually go about it in a completely different way. So I think a lot of the stuff that we placed upon ourselves was just that, the expectations we placed upon ourselves, um, which were unrealistic. So we would, we would absolutely change that. There's something about ensuring a work-life balance and employees have a responsibility for that as well as employers. Mm -hmm. um, and there's something about adopting healthy coping strategies rather than just getting caught up in the pressures of working life, if you like, and, and coming up with almost excuses. Well, I'm too busy for exercise. I'm too busy to take a lunch break. It, it doesn't, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't compute. Um, and so if we were to go back, it would be about making time to fit those things in because actually that is what creates a happy workplace and a happy life, really. It's about creating that balance. And in terms of employers, um, it's recognising that actually um, a healthy, happy workplace is a productive workplace. You know, the one goes in, hand in hand with the other, really. And I think there's something about leading from the top in that. It's about identifying a workplace culture that everybody is engaged in and can sign up to and something that's real and meaningful, not just a tick box exercise, but something that is believed in and something that is embedded um, by everybody. So it's about, um, you know, you, you, you've mentioned a, a couple of times there about, about the culture and, uh, you know, about the beliefs and all that. And, and I suppose, you know, you know, when you when you look at, at, at I, I work in health and safety in in the main. Um, you know, not, not you know not the well being. You know, we I'm I'm quite uh, I suppose a little bit a little bit segmented into that. Uh, you know, the system and the procedure and the process and all that, and really trying to break more into into the to the mindset and, and the people side of things. But but about you know how do you go how do you go about about changing or affecting then the culture of the of the organisation to, to to become more thoughtful, I suppose, for, for, for each other and for, you know, and for the, for the you know, the, the employees in the business. How do you go about changing that? I think there's probably several things. I think the first thing is whenever an organisation introduces a new initiative, there is a real danger, as Sharon said, of turning to tick box mentality. So I'll get the manual out for wellbeing. It says, um, bring fruit in on a Friday and stick it on the side. It says once a month, have a, you know, mindful walk around the block as a team. It, and it doesn't kind of get to the, to the nub of things. So I think for, you know, culture, anyone who's involved in cultural change and supporting businesses with cultural change, culture takes an age to change. So it's going in small um, with small things that engage some people and accepting it won't engage everybody. So the first thing is perhaps... Um, experimenting a little bit so well-being is all about experimentation um trying new things you know getting people to be creative so introducing some some um opportunities for people to adopt more healthy lifestyles but then i think it's much more um important then that the top you know it's not just something that's done to people um but the people at the top actually get involved they step out of their comfort zone it can be um, quite, you know, a, a, a feeling of fear, I suppose, being someone at the top and stepping out so that people can look in and watch your behaviours and the way that you're working. But you need to be mirroring this at the top. So um, walk in the talk and just creating opportunities for people to kind of get involved. Um, I think the worst thing that people can do 
um, is become the well-being police. So, you know, we're all humans. And actually, the research tells us time and time again, there is no one diet that will fit everybody. One thing that, you know, would work for me, Colin, would make you feel rubbish and vice versa. Um, So there is absolutely no point dictating what happens. It's about empowering people to be creative, modeling good behaviors, and having a sense of creativity and experimentation. Um, It's not something that is kind of right or wrong. It's playing and and having fun with it, I think. Have you got some sort of examples of, uh, you know, of things you've seen work really well in the in the workplace that that, that, that people maybe could, could could think about adopting in their place? Some healthy competition is always fun, isn't it? So we've seen organisations where, um, you know, the the post room might go in competition with the IT department or, or whatever in terms of I don't know how many steps can they fit in in a day or. Um, you know, one department will bring in the healthy snacks one day and the next week another department will bring the healthy snacks in and there'll be a competition or even some inter-organisation um, uh, competitions as well. Just bringing in healthy competition gives it a bit of a fun element and we all want to win at the end of the day, don't we? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Anything, anything else? You, you, know, what, um, you know, what other things do you do? I think there's something about... Um, Oh, our biggest kind of bugbear, I guess, is the whole thing Sharon alluded to earlier about taking breaks. There right. is something about, you know, right. we've all heard this, haven't we? I've certainly heard this in, in kind of organisations I've worked in. Um, you'll get up and go for your lunch break and you'll have, you know, Doris sitting next to you who will say, oh, having a lunch break, are you? I'm really glad you've got time. And it's the walk of shame, isn't it, out of the office to go and take an hour's lunch break. I think... The statistics statistics tell us that when we do take a a lunch break, our productivity is is, um, increased hugely. Um, Perhaps Sharon has the figure in front of her. I can't quite remember it at the moment. 41%. It's massive. 41%. There it is. So (laughs) take a lunch break and your productivity is increased by 41%. That makes business sense. It is absolutely crazy to still be living in these archaic ways of you know, I'm tough and I'll demonstrate just how hardworking and um, what a good employee I am because I've not had a lunch break since 1972. Well, that's not helping anybody. So I think one of the things in terms of, you know, your question of what people can do, make it um, normal for people to get up and have lunch breaks. Create a gorgeous space for people to go and have their lunch in. Encourage people to get outside. Um, Whoever you are in the business, start modelling that behaviour. Simple things like that, as well as increasing your productivity, what that tells to employees is that you're valued. You're not just a cog in the wheel. We do value you. We do know that you will be loyal back to us if we treat you like a human being and not like a cog in the wheel. It's just a win-win, but it does take a mindset shift and a culture change. But it starts with few people demonstrating it and for it to be seen as acceptable. It's um, uh, it's it's so fascinating to hear, and and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of press at the moment about um, you know, about companies that have been seen to to have been doing the right thing with their employees, as you know, as we're going into this uh, 
this 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 sort of lockdown. And you know, some businesses have been very have been very positive and been very supportive. And other people, other businesses have been quite critical um, of or have been criticised a lot for the way that they've treated their treat their employees. And, and and it's no different from a well-being perspective. You know, this is this is related to, to you know to whether people are going to get paid, which is a which is a fundamental thing. But but from a well-being perspective, you know, it's about treating people the right way, isn't it? And getting that. Uh, you know, get, getting that right approach right from the very, very top. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's, um, um, you know, so, 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 you know, people at the moment are going to be, uh, you know, they're going to, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of pressure out there. There's a, there's quite a lot of stress and anxiety and, you know, and people are being affected in so many, so many different ways. I'd like to, I'd like to talk in a little while about, about maybe some things that people, that people can maybe do, you know, whilst they're in lockdown, whilst they're at home. But before we do that, what about just you know if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed or busy? What's um you know what's what do you recommend that people that people do if they've got if, if that's how they're that's how they're feeling at the moment? If somebody's feeling overwhelmed. How do you uh, how do you deal with that? I think first of all, it's about getting in touch with those feelings and emotions that are there. So often an emotion may present, but it's not actually the issue. Um, so what sits beneath that? So for many, you know, I've heard a lot of people feeling quite angry at the moment. How could this happen? You know, we should have been protected better and all the rest of it. There's a lot of anger there. Mm. Anger is often um, the emotion that's shown, but there's often something that sits beneath that. And it's often things like fear, uncertainty, anxiety, that kind of thing. Mm. So I would really encourage people just to, Take some time out and to say, okay, so what is really going on for me here? What are these, what's this emotion trying to tell me? What's going on? And rather than keep that to ourselves, actually talk about it. Mm. At this current time, we're probably all feeling similar, I guess. There's a lot of uncertainty and that can lead to fear. Let's talk about it. Let's make it an open, honest dialogue. Okay, so we might be in lockdown. But let's find creative ways in which we can still connect with other people and have those open conversations. Mm -hmm. So I would say getting in touch with emotions and being honest and talking about it is a really useful, quite powerful first step to take. Mm. No, that's, um, you know, openness, you know, openness and honesty, isn't it? You know, and, uh, you know, and it's being able to, you know, it's being able to, to connect. And, and I think, you know, you know, it, it, it's 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 having the confidence, I think, to do that. You know, and it's about building about building that confidence. What if you you know, what if you don't? I mean, how how do you how do you go about uh, you know making those first steps then to to sort of get that confidence to be open and 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 you know with other people about how you are truly feeling? Maybe actually, it's it's a it's a bigger picture. Maybe as a society, maybe as employers. We need to be taking the leading steps in that to show people that it's okay. Because you're right, some people would, you know, I'll tell you how I'm feeling any day of the week. You know, I'll wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm aware not everybody's the same. Mm. So as a culture, um, we need to be making that acceptable and okay. And maybe, I always like to think that there are positives that come out of times of adversity. Maybe this is going to be one of those positive things that arises out of this really challenging, challenging situation at the moment. And then we do find that it's easier, it's recognised, it's okay to talk more. I, I hope that that might be one of the positive outcomes. But mm. I think it's about giving people the opportunity to talk and showing people it really is okay. There's no judgment. We really do need open door policy. 
Yeah, yeah and, and I think it's you know it's it's also important for the you know you, you mentioned open door policy there, and I really I really like that. But but it, I think it's also you know about the management actually getting out of their office, isn't it, and going out into into the to the workplace and, and talking to the people in their environment. You know, not not just expecting people to come into uh, you know in, in, into the into their office. So you know, the sort of things that you'll go in and talk to business leaders about is it about about spending time out in the uh, out in the field, out in the workplace? Who, how do you, how do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's absolutely vital. I mean, you know, a lot of what we're talking about here is actually being real and being authentic. It goes right back to the values that we talked about earlier. Um, you know, gone are the days, I think, where the boss sits in the high tower and the workers kind of a, a distanced and, and not involved. Actually, as people, when we're valued, we're communicated with appropriately, um, when we're listened to, and there's opportunities for everyone to kind of have that two-way dialogue, and when we do speak out, we're respected, then productivity goes up, loyalty goes up, happiness goes up, which of course leads to kind of a, a more positive can-do attitude. But you know what? I think we probably shouldn't underestimate how difficult some senior people find it to actually open the door. Because, oh my goodness, what might happen? You know, what might they say to me? What might they demand of me? What might they need me to do? Um, and a lot of people we talk to in business are quite worried about opening the doors on a, on a well-being agenda because staff might just want it all. You know, they might lay down tools at three o'clock because um, we've told them that taking breaks is a good thing to do. So it's losing that control, isn't it? Um, again, it comes back to culture, but it's taking small steps and maybe, uh, you know, setting up forums, um, one of the things that we do with, with organizations, for example, is that we train what we call well-being champions. So these people could be anyone in the organization. They need to have a passion for well-being and they need to be properly trained to protect themselves, to have boundaries and, and to work appropriately. But it could be someone in the senior management team. It could be someone in any, any of the other teams. But dispersed across the organization, they become a focal point for people to go to. So they don't want to yet go to HR and make an official announcement that they're feeling overwhelmed and stressed. They might just need a chat with somebody. Um, having that dialogue and having it, just having the champions there sends out the message, talking is good here, talking is accepted. Um, so champions are a really good way to go. But then, as you've mentioned already, getting the senior team visibly out there talking, communicating, and managing expectations. That doesn't mean it's a free-for-all and they can promise the world. It means that we're listening um, and that we have enough respect to kind of do what we can to support our staff. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, um, you know, that, that you know, saying that, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that everything, you know, everything is going to be put into place. It's about It's about just doing the things that are, that are appropriate for the, for the individual, and some and there's some people, you know, respond better to, to certain ideas and certain initiatives than others. Um, you know, I've heard a bit about some companies that, uh, that that they don't set hours of work; they set work. You know, and, and this is what we want to achieve, and and you you achieve it in the time that it takes you. Um, you know, is it, do you, have you seen that work uh, work well in business? Yeah, I mean, we, I don't think um, at the moment we've worked with businesses that are operating that way, but we're certainly aware of the, the research that has gone on 
Um, so there's quite a lot of research that's looked at businesses that are basically giving freedom to employees to work in a way that works for them because we're all different. Um, most of the time, that's showing that productivity increases, loyalty increases, happiness increases. Um, but I can imagine, you know, for a lot of companies, that's a huge step, isn't it? To, to release that power and to say, okay, staff, we just need you to achieve this, but, you know, do it in your way. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, what the research is showing is that when we're left to step up to the mark, and to work in a way that kind of lights us up, going back to our original point, we rise to the challenge and companies thrive. Um, and maybe as Sharon said earlier, one of the things that has inevitably happened in this current crisis is that we're forced to work differently. Mm-hmm. So some companies I know have never allowed working from home because it's way too much losing of control. Now they have no choice. I think that we will find, um, A, companies may be saying, do you know, it's not so bad you know, left to their own devices, they still actually worked. But also employees are going to say, do you know what, that worked for me, and I've proven that I can do it. And there might be a little challenge and a little shift in the way that people um, kind of move forward, um, which would be interesting. It's a real kind of, I don't know, it's almost like um, if it wasn't so serious and, and overwhelming for everyone, you can imagine in our helicopter looking down on this situation, it's a massive kind of social psychological project isn't it looking at the way that we all respond to these um, restrictions placed on us Um, but I mean I think one of the other things kind of linked to that and linked to what you said about dealing with overwhelm so what happens when we go into a state of overwhelm is that we um, lose the function in our prefrontal cortex in our brain now that's a really important part of our brain for for our work and life because that's the place that we think logically, we problem solve, we process, and we think our way through a problem. When that's shut down, we're just in panic and we can't think straight. When we can't think straight, everything feels so much worse. Um, So what we need to try and do, because our brain is amazingly clever, but not that clever, we can override that. And we can do things to re-engage that prefrontal cortex and almost kid our brain that everything is okay so that it locks back into to action again. So things like deep breathing, um, things like engaging with the right side brain, which is our creative side. So getting creative in terms of, I don't know, getting a jigsaw out, um, getting the sticky paper out with the kids and making a collage, um, getting in the garden and doing some digging. doesn't need to be a work of art. It just needs to be enough to shut down logical thinking, give it a rest, um, and then you will come back to a state of being able to think and process. That's when we can see real perspective and and hopefully kind of reduce that that overwhelm. um, I've been uh, doing a a 3D um, jigsaw of uh, the Tower Bridge with my daughter. And, you know, it's it's been lovely. It's been absolutely lovely. Just to, just to, you know, spend some time just doing something that, that's just so different to what we, to what we've got used to doing, and you know, and it, and, it, and you know, and, it, and it'll be something that we take forward. You know, we will, we will carry on doing that until, until, <laughs> until she gets an age where she doesn't want to. And uh, but um, you know, it's just lovely to to spend spend different spend different time 
with uh, you know with the people that we really care about. And I think again, I think that's one of the one of the big things that this process is uh, you know is is, is going to is going to is going to is going to result in the positives that's going to come out of this difficult time. Mm. Yeah, no, that's uh, that, uh, the relationship between doing things differently and stepping outside of your comfort zone. Mm. And I think perhaps that's that's that's. Some of the things that our, our clients, people that we work with, perhaps find most difficult because you want me to do different? Oh, you want to me to put myself in a scary position? And, and perhaps there's a little bit of kind of holding back from that. But now we're forced into that situation. As you just kind of illustrated there, we are absolutely seeing that relationship between doing things differently, stepping into our, um, you know, that, that um, stepping into our, I can't find my words now. <laughs> Stepping outside of our comfort zone yep. is having a massive impact on well-being, relationships, and all those fantastic things. So when we're forced into a situation, as Elaine said, we do adapt and we do respond and we then develop resilience. So it's all good. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's lovely. What a great chat. I, I, I love the passion. I love the energy that the uh, that ladies have. Um, you know, they it's so important to them. Obviously, you know, you heard in the... Uh, in the interview that they've both they've both been through their moments they've had their their darker times when there was a lot of overwhelm in their lives and everybody i'm sure everybody can relate to that you know we've all uh you know we've all had difficult times probably never more so than at the moment um you know and there's so many different things that uh, that people have to worry about that people are concerned about and what they did is they you know for me that they, they actually really helped me today you know, they made me get a little bit more thought, a little bit more, a little bit more of a plan of, of, of what I want to do, how I want to look after myself, um, you know, a bit better, you know, because if you get yourself right, then you're going to make better decisions. Um, you know, being at the, you know, the top of a business, you know, being able to being able to put that right message out to your employees and getting them to 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 do things because it's the right thing to do, um, you know, is, is, is really important. You know, anxiety can be can be really tricky. Being creative is so important. Um, I hope that you've got something out of that uh, out of that interview. The second episode that we're doing is uh, is more about um, you know what to do when we're in lockdown. You know, you're at home, um, you've been furloughed, and again, really really fascinating chat. Much shorter episode. Again, I got I got I got plenty from that as well. I hope you've enjoyed things, and um, we'll speak again really soon. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business.